The reading this evening is taken from Luke chapter 13, uh, verses 1 to 9. Now there were some present at that time who told Jesus about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mixed with their sacrifices. Jesus answered, Do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered this way? I tell you, no. But unless you repent, you too will all perish. Or those 18 who died when the tower in Siloam fell on them. Do you think they were more guilty than all the others living in Jerusalem? I tell you, no. But unless you repent, you too will all perish. Then he told this parable. A man had a fig tree growing in his vineyard, and he went to look for fruit on it, but did not find any. So he said to the man who took care of the vineyard, For three years now I've been coming to look for fruit on this fig tree and haven't found any. Cut it down. Why should it use up the soil? Sir, the man replied, leave it alone for one more year and I'll dig round it and fertilize it. If it bears fruit next year, fine. If not, then cut it down. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, hello again. And uh, we're picking up Luke's Gospel. Actually, we've been going through Luke all through the summer. Anyway, we are going through Luke's Gospel. It's taking us about 18 months. We're not missing any bits out. And in the next few chapters, Jesus is getting a little blunter. Uh, That started over the last few chapters. We've had woe to the Pharisees. We've had division within families. Uh, Later in the chapter, he'll talk about the narrow door. Uh, And in the next chapter, the cost of discipleship. So all the newness and who is this man is now there. Now Jesus is much sharper in what he's saying. And here we have his reaction to some tragedies. And like tragedies today, they raise all sorts of questions for us. Our questions are more about God's goodness and his power. Their questions are more about how sinful were these people. Uh, But suffering inevitably raises questions for us. uh, And we're asking what's going on. So let's pray that as we listen to what Jesus said 2,000 years ago, it helps us get things a little bit straighter in our own minds. Lord Jesus, we bow before you. You are God, the Son. You know the truth about all things, and we don't. And uh, our minds are puzzled and our hearts hurt when we see suffering and tragedies. And we pray on both levels tonight for those who have real heart questions and those who have more head questions, that you will come by your Spirit and minister to both, that you'll speak tonight through your Spirit, through your Word you spoke all those years ago, Uh, But each of us, each of our thinking would come into line more with you. So give us grace, and we ask it in your great name. Amen. Uh, If you are older than me, I was 60 this year. I was only about three when England won the World Cup. Uh, how, How many of you are old enough to remember the World Cup? A few. You will probably also remember one of the 
one of the seminal tragedies in our nation, which was the Amber Fan disaster, the mining disaster, which was October, just a few years after the World Cup. Uh, I read Lyndon Bowring from Care, who wrote this. He lived nearby that. I was 18 and at home in Wales with my parents and brothers when an urgent appeal for help was broadcast on the radio. That very morning, a mountain of coal dust, slag and slurry had collapsed and engulfed a primary school in the tiny community of Aberfan. All able-bodied Welshmen were urged to make their way to the village. Clutching spades, my father, brothers and I set off too. The arc lights blazed over the area, which had so recently echoed to the sounds of children playing, and burly miners wept openly as they worked through the night digging. A hush would descend on the whole site as the cry went out that yet another dead child had been found. Altogether, the dead bodies of 116 children and 28 adults were unearthed. Absolute tragedy. I was reminded of it. It features in one of the episodes of The Crown, and that was the of this huge slag heap that sh all the rain it shifted and engulfed a primary school. It's that sort of tragedy that they're asking Jesus about. There were two tragedies. There are others, of course, more recent in the national consciousness would be the Grenfell Tower. What was going on? God, why did you allow that? What's all the questions that we have? Uh, there was... For historians, the great earthquake of Lisbon in 1755 that shook Europe, um, literally, but also shook the faith of Europe. Where is God when that happens? Or it could be something like the shooting at the school in Dunblane. We're used to hearing about this in America, but here? Or the Boxing Day tsunami nearly 20 years ago. Uh, these tragedies somehow become national tragedies. We all will have smaller ones, it may be a neighbour who's died in a house fire or a family person. We all have these questions. What is going on? Uh, in our reading, two tragedies. Jesus talks about two particular tragedies. Let's just read them again if we put up verses 1 to 5 again. There were some present at that time who told Jesus about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mixed with their sacrifices. They're offering sacrifices and he's come and killed them. Jesus answered, do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered this way? I tell you, no. But unless you repent, you too will all perish. All those 18 who died when the tower in Siloam fell on them. That feels quite similar to the whole sort of Grenfell situation, a tragedy in a tower. Do you think they were more guilty than the others living in Jerusalem? I tell you, no. But unless you repent, you too will all perish. Now, our questions in the West today are... Is there a God and is he good? 2,000 years ago, the Jews knew there was a God. They knew he was good. Their question was, well, they must be more sinful. And Jesus says no to that. But these were real events with real human suffering, the same as the sort of situations I mentioned earlier or that may be in your mind. And when they asked Jesus about this, you can imagine a pin, you could hear a pin drop. Everybody wants to know. Everybody has. Some of the questions are heart questions. Some of the questions are head questions. Some of them are very hard to put into words. We tend to assume that we deserve peace, health, happiness, and we question God when there's suffering. But Jesus seems to be saying the opposite is the case. Unless you repent, you too will all perish. He seems to be saying that we all deserve to perish, and it's only because of God's mercy that good things happen. 
So while the situations are the same, the context is different, and Jesus speaking 2,000 years ago cuts into what we think today with a sharpness, uh, probably even greater than it would have felt all those years ago. Uh, so three not very sharp points <laughs> Sorry. Um, as we head towards this, and this is not going to be a sermon trying to say everything that could be said about suffering, just the things that come from this passage. Uh, the first one, the disaster is no evidence that those people were more wicked than anybody else. Uh, at the time, people thought if something bad happened, they must be more sinful. You get that today with a sort of karma-type religions. Bad things happen because they were bad or bad in a previous existence. or something. And Jesus would say, absolutely not. Like Job's friends telling him that he must, have to be, he must be bad because bad stuff's happened to him. Or like the question that the disciples asked of the blind man in John 9. If we just put up John 9. As he went along, Jesus saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, he was born blind? That was the way they understood it. And Jesus said, no, neither. And he says, in this case, no. The fact the people who Pilate butchered and the people who died when the tower fell were no worse sinners than anybody else. Now, it is true that sin in general leads to suffering in general. That is the story of the Bible that God made the world uh, good and that when sin came in, it was spoilt and everything was spoilt. Uh, our relationship with God was spoilt, our relationship with each other was spoilt, our relationship with the planet was spoilt. Everything, sin came in. Suffering in general has come in because of sin in general. And when Jesus came, he came to deal with the root cause, the sin problem, rather than just to stick plaster on all the superficial Issues. So it is true that sin in general leads to suffering in general, but that does not mean that in any particular case the fact that a disaster has happened means that person is more, more or less sinful. It just doesn't. Suffering seems to break out randomly. Um, I often say it's a bit like if you've got chicken pox, you get spots randomly everywhere, and there's no point saying, why have I got a spot there and not there? You have spots because there's chicken pox. No. Silly illustration, but the point is because the world has sinned, suffering is in the world. It's part of the world we live in. And if that happens to you, it doesn't mean that you're any worse or doesn't, God doesn't care for you. This is, that's a really important thing to say. The second thing, and this is, I think, the really shocking thing for us today, and just sort of typing it up, I felt the shock of it quite a lot. Jesus seems to still imply that they all deserve to die as we all do. He doesn't say, no, they didn't deserve to die. He just said they were no worse than anybody else. Now that's shocking because we live in the West where we assume that everybody deserves health and prosperity. That's the culture uh, we live in. Jesus tells, turns to the crowd and says twice, I tell you, unless you repent, you too will perish. In other words, that could have befallen any one of us or anyone. It's really shocking, and it's important to register this again. So a couple of uh, verses from the New Testament, just to sort of tease this out. Paul says in Romans 3.23, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That's every one of us has sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And then three chapters later, Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death. So because we are all sinful... That's what everyone naturally deserves. But 
Romans 6, 23, the gift of God is eternal life. So God's desire is for people to live, even though naturally, because of our sin, we don't deserve that. So let me just read what I've written. Jesus is saying that we all deserve to die, and if such a thing were to happen to us, it would be no more or less than we deserved. Now, in past generations, you've had the preaching and the churches were full of, there was almost too much uh, blood and thunder and hell and damnation. Now in our culture, there's not nearly enough. We're very strong on the love of God, and we're probably a bit weak on judgment and heaven and hell. And the balance in my preaching probably has shifted uh, not to be biblical. Jesus spoke about heaven and hell a lot. Uh, and the great thing about going through Luke's gospel and not missing any bits out is that we can't miss any bits out. They're here, and we need to, we need to deal with them. Uh, the trouble is we approach things from the wrong end. We approach it from our perspective. We compare ourselves with others, and there will always be people who are better than us and people than worse than us, so we assume we're fine. We, like to sort of, we have a sort of imagine there's a ladder with your mother Teresa's at the top and Hitler at the bottom. We're somewhere in the middle, and then we're fine. But from God's perspective, we all fall short. We've all sinned. We all deserve to be cut off from him. And that's why Jesus came. And the cross convinces me that hell is not a threat because Jesus would not die to save us from an empty threat. And our communion service today reminds us of what it cost Jesus to come to save us from the death we naturally deserve. So thirdly, Jesus saw atrocities and disasters like these. Obviously, he cared when he came across people who were suffering themselves, we know what his reaction is, is just love and care. When people are asking the questions, he doesn't enter the abstract philosophy. He uses it as an opportunity to call people to repent. Twice, he says, unless you repent, you too will perish. Can we put up verses 1 to 5 again, please, Martin? Just go back again. So... Um, the first one, there's the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mixed with their sacrifices. Jesus says, do you think they're worse sinners because they suffer this way? No, but unless you repent, you too will perish. Or the 18 who died when the tower in Siloam fell on them, do you think they were more guilty? No, but unless you repent, you will perish. Now, most of us here tonight have come to faith in Jesus. We have repented. We know our sins are forgiven, but we can forget just how much this matters. And being face-to-face -face with this passage, particularly in the context of a communion service, just reminds us of the wonder of forgiveness that Jesus has stepped in to save us from perishing. Uh, and I just want to pause a minute on the word perish. We think about heaven and hell a lot. And uh, I used to get asked far more than I do now. Surely God won't send people to hell. And if I ask people what their concept of hell is, it's more to do with the paintings from the Middle Ages than the, the biblical concept. Uh, but the Bible is very clear that there are two destinations, ultimately. One is with God in the glorious new creation where everything will be perfect and there'll be no more death and no more suffering, no more tears. The other is the absolute the absence of God. Uh, sometimes talked about as fire, sometimes talked about destruction, and to try and sum it up, it's in hell in the Bible seems to be eternal destruction, but of course it can't be both. If you're destroyed, it's not eternal. If it's eternal, you haven't been destroyed. Um, and, may, and this is where we all need to be a bit agnostic. Hell is bad enough that we want to encourage people to repent and for Jesus to die to save us from it. 
Uh, if you want to know where I've got to in this, hell seems to have been prepared for the devil and the fallen angels. And when Jesus says eternal destruction for humans, I think the balance is on destruction because of the word perish that Jesus uses here. He says, if you don't repent, you will perish. That will be the end. But we're a bit agnostic on this because the scriptures hold the eternal destruction to it. Um, and I'm not going to get into that philosophically. It's just that perish is the word that Jesus, is, Jesus uses, which is why I come down more on the destruction side than the eternal side for humans. Um, but that's, that's using the word that Jesus uses, and that's why. Jesus is essentially saying, if you had been there, would you have been ready? And it's so alien. A hundred years ago, you would have heard a sermon like this every time. You would have been sick to the back teeth of it, and you want to sermon about the love of God. But it is shocking. We don't preach enough about this. C.S. Lewis said, God whispers to us in our pleasures. He speaks to us in our conscience, but he shouts at us through suffering. It is his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. And God is longing that everyone comes to repentance and therefore has life. And that seems to be why some tragedies are allowed to shock us in saying, God, what is going on? And the fact that there is a judgment is borne out by what Jesus said next, this bit about the fig tree. So let's read verses 6 to 9. Then, straight after this, or in that context, he told this parable. A man had a fig tree growing in his vineyard. He went to look for fruit on it, but he didn't find any. So he said to the man who took care of the vineyard, for three years now I've been coming to look for fruit on this fig tree and I haven't found any cut it down why should it use up the soil sir the man replied leave it alone for one more year and I'll dig around it and fertilize it if it bears fruit next year fine if not then cut it down Jesus's point is there comes a point where there will be a day of judgment like for this fig tree there would be a day of judgment a year later and there comes a point in this world when Jesus will return scriptures are very clear about that over 300 times in the new testament but until then, we're in that period, that like that year for the fig tree, of God being patient and waiting to give people a chance to come to faith in him and bear fruit. Uh, Peter, in his old age, addressed this question to Peter, chapter 3, 8 and 9. Do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness, most of us. Instead, he's patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. Point is, God's attitude is love to save us from perishing. But it's only when we get the fact that sin and everybody sins leads to perishing that we realize what good news that is. If people think that they're good enough for God as they are, then it's always quite a shock to realize that God's standards are much higher. Now, we're reading through the whole of Luke's Gospel. It will take us till Easter. Well, actually, most of next term, January to Easter, we'll be dealing with the cross because we'll have an extended run up to the cross next term. But of course, this whole Gospel that Luke's done tells us that Jesus not only tells people to repent, he paid the price on the cross so we can. So our sins can be forgiven. So as Eleanor started the service, someone had that picture of Mary in the garden meeting Jesus after his resurrection. 
and there's a whole new quality of relationship with him that is available. And this service of communion reminds us of the cost to Jesus. Uh, and it, it is a shock to us. I was, as we were praying before the service, I was reminded that the Holy Spirit comforts the disturbed and disturbs the comfortable. And I think in the West, in the church, we can be too comfortable. We can forget that we're dealing in eternal realities. Uh, and I've been disturbed, in a sense, by having to prepare on this. Um, and I'm sure I've communicated on this. It is shocking. Uh, and we're meant to be shocked. This matters. This is why Jesus came. Uh, so remember that in general... Sin in general leads to suffering in general. Remember that Jesus came to deal with the root cause. He came to deal with the sin problem so we can be forgiven. If I have appendicitis and I have acute pain and I just tell you I'm hurting, bringing me lots of painkillers isn't what I need. I need the appendix taken out. And Jesus didn't come with painkillers, though sometimes he does provide some divine analgesic. and <laughs> we're, we're all for praying for people who are hurting for God to comfort. But the sin issue, it needs taking out so that we're no longer sinners, but we're saints, God's people, who are forgiven and adopted into his family. We were sinners. We still sin because we're not sorted fully yet, but that's not our identity anymore. Now, if all this is news to you, please come on our Alpha course. That's what we address. Jesus, who Jesus is, why we pay attention to him, his death and resurrection, why it matters uh, that we do repent. And it's not just about heaven and hell, it's about a quality of relationship with God now. Uh, if there's anyone here tonight who's been weighing this all up for a while and just thinks, no, I need to deal with this, please have a word with me or Eleanor uh, or Christian friends straight after. If you know that's you tonight, be really good to deal with that so you walk out knowing you are forgiven. That's what God wants us to. But if you're just beginning to explore it, it'd be really good not to rush into that, just to take time to think it through. Uh, I'm going to finish by reading a bit of writing that I remember first reading 40 years ago when I was a student. Uh, it's a piece of writing called The Long Silence. Um, I can't find out when it was first written. The earliest I could find was 1982, which maybe went when I first heard it, but probably goes back longer than that. It goes like this. And at the end of this, we'll have a silence before we'll come to sing and come to communion. At the end of time, billions of people were seated on a great plain before God's throne. Most shrank back from the brilliant light before them, but some groups near the front talked heatedly, not cringing with cringing shame, but with belligerence. Can God judge us? How can he know about suffering? Snapped a young brunette. She ripped open a sleeve to reveal a tattooed number from a Nazi concentration camp. We endured terror, beatings, torture, death. In another group, a black boy lowered his collar. What about this, he demanded, showing an ugly rope bone, lynched for no crime but being black. In another crowd was a pregnant schoolgirl with sullen eyes. Why should I suffer, she murmured. It wasn't my fault. Far out across the plain were hundreds of such groups. Each had a complaint against God for the evil and suffering he had permitted in his world. How lucky God was to live in heaven where all was sweetness and light, where there was no weeping or fear, no hunger or hatred. What did God know of all that man had been forced to endure in this world? God leads a pretty sheltered life, they said. So each of these groups sent forth their leader, chosen because they had suffered the most. A Jew, a black person, a person from Hiroshima, uh, an arthritic, a thalidomide child, 
In the center of the vast plain, they consulted with each other, and at last they were ready to present their case. It was rather clever. Before God could be qualified to be their judge, he must endure what they had endured. Their decision was that God should be sentenced to live on earth as a man. Let him be born a Jew. Let the legitimacy of his birth be doubted. Give him a work so difficult that even his family will think him mad. Let him be betrayed by his closest friends. Let him face false charges. Let him be tried by a prejudiced jury and convicted by a cowardly judge. Let him be tortured. At the last, let him see what it means to be terribly alone. Then let him die, so there can be no doubt he died. Let there be a host of witnesses to verify it. As each leader announced his portion of the sentence, loud murmurs of approval went up from the throng of people assembled. When the last had finished pronouncing sentence, there was a long silence. No one uttered a word. No one moved. For suddenly, they all knew that God had already served his sentence. Just be still, and if I can invite the band to come back ready to sing, let's just be still. And in the stillness, Holy Spirit, come and minister to us as we sit with the thoughts and questions that we have. Come and meet us where we are.